Welcome to Advantage Over, the only global rugby podcast to help you become a better referee. Your host today is Keith Lewis. Are you ready? Time on. Hello and welcome to episode 22 of the Advantage Over podcast. I'm Keith Lewis, your host, and you're very welcome to this week's edition. Um, We are very excited to um, bring you a bit of a training episode this time with our interview with... um, Super Rugby prop Sam Needs from ScrumStrong.com. So do stay tuned for that. Um, some real insights and talking about all things Scrum related, what we should be looking for, what we shouldn't be looking for, how we communicate, um, and all sorts of good Scrum tips. So keep tuned for that in a few minutes. But just before that, I um, just wanted to just flag a couple of news items that have come out over the last few weeks. Um, we're in the appointments um, window, if you like, for next year. Um, And as we head towards um, the Six Nations in February, the Six Nations appointments have come out for both the men's and the women's tournament. Um, Let's start with the men's. Um, I guess the the surprise in the appointments is that there's no real surprises. Um, We were sort of expecting post-Rugby World Cup that... Um, with Jerome Garces going, the suggestion that Nigel Owens, Wayne Barndrum and Pat wouldn't make it to 2023. Still, um, there's no suggestion that they're not at this stage. Um, but we thought they might um, not feature in this batch. Um, but they're all there. Um, so all, all the Rugby World Cup referees who refereed um, are on duty in the Six Nations. Um, and then Matt Carley also returns to the whistle uh, after ARing in Japan. And Andrew Brace, who was there um, in Japan with a flag, will step up and make his Six Nations debut this time when France play Italy. So all um, all those officials are out and about and you can find those on the website. So head to rugbyreferee.net and hunt for those appointments down. But they're all there. Um, the games kick off on Saturday, the 1st of February next year, with Luke Pearce kicking off um, in Cardiff as Wales play Italy. Um, so lots of great rugby to look forward to. Uh, so all the appointments are there. Um, all the referee appointments with the ARs. There's a couple of new names on the AR circuit and a couple of new TMOs to, to come into the mix. Um, we've seen um, Ben Skeen has retired from TMO duties in, from New Zealand. Obviously, the, the second most experienced TMO out there heading back to school duties. Um, so there's some new TMO names with James Leckie, um, a former um, professional referee in Australia, has moved into the TMO truck and he takes um, some his first Six Nations game in that respect. Brian McAneese has been around about um, in from Ireland and he's been doing under 20s and is stepping up into Six Nations. So that's great as well. And a return to Six Nations duty to Glenn Newman, who had a little bit of an issue a couple of years ago with rugby, but is back. So I'm good to see Glenn back. On the women's tournament, the match officials have been announced this week. It's great to see um, a whole flanks of female officials named in this week's appointments. Um, obviously, a crucial window in the women's game. Uh, now we're on the, the cycle of the um, the next Rugby World Cup in 2021 um, with, the, with the women all um, heading to New Zealand. Um, so we've got nine referees who will be in charge of the 15 games there. Um, Amber McLaughlin from Australia and Rebecca Mahoney will be making their Six Nations debut, so congratulations to them. And they joined some familiar names from around the world, so Sarah Cox, um, Aurelie Grisler, um, Joy Neville, Clara Manorini, Holly Neville, Amy Barrett-Turon and Nikki O'Donnell make up the rest of the panel. Um, some interesting things there in that all 15 games will be refereed by neutral female-only on-field officials. And that always um, stimulates a debate about um, whether the female female game should be officiated by um, some of the, the top-level men's game. I think that's an episode for another day, but certainly have a look at those appointments and see. I think what it is good to see is that we've got some high-quality 
and female match officials all around the world who are stepping up in both the men's and the women's game. So it's good that they're on duty um, again, kicking off at the same time. 2nd of February um, 2020, Ireland play Scotland in that first game with Oralee from France will be in charge of that. So again, all those appointments are on rugbyreferee.net. So head over there. We've also seen um, as, as in some in some countries starting to get the um, panels together for the upcoming season for those of you who are on the off seasons the South African panels have just been announced again all the detail on the site so congratulations to all those officials who have been um, announced as um, either on those panels in South Africa or, or have had six nations appointments both the men's and the women's um, it's great to see um, hope you're all enjoying your off season you're um, getting started to starting to switch back on for um, next season um, in wherever part of the world you are in. So that's the news for you. You can always catch up the latest news um, on the website. They're always there. Um, if you sign up to our email list, you can um, get that breaking news as it happens. Keep an eye on Rugby Referee Net um, social channels across Twitter, um, Instagram, Facebook. Um, and if you want to come and join our Facebook community, where um, it's just we only let referees into that, it's a great place to come and um ask those conversations get that confidence that you might need if you're just starting out um, ask those queries that you don't get a chance to ask at any other time um, we've got a great little community going on on Facebook at the moment um, and if you head to refsquad.com um, the magic of the internet will bounce that into Facebook and into the group um, answer a couple of questions um, in the thing like are you a referee for how long um, and then um, agree to the, the conditions that we've set uh, agree to the the principles of the group um, and then I will let you in so head over to Facebook um, come and find the rugbyreferee.net community or head to referee uh, head to refsquad.com um, and that will bounce you in so come and join us over there um, and now with that we shall head over to our interview with Sam Needs enjoy So joining us today on the podcast is Sam Needs, who is, I think, one of our first non-referee or non-referee involved um, guests to the podcast, which is fantastic. Um, all of you, um, or many of you, when I asked about what you want us to cover on the podcast, talk about Scrum. So what uh, what better person to join us than a, a specialist tight head in super rugby, played a bit of loose head, played a bit of hooker. So Sam's currently um, involved in Warringah. Um, club in Australia, having also played in New South Wales Waratahs at Super Rugby level before. So, um, Sam, you're very welcome to join us. Thanks very much for having me, Keith. It's an honour to be the first non-referee on the Cool, on and the what better say, for, for, to get a front row on, to talk to us about uh, front row work is going to be interesting from an audio perspective, but hopefully really vital um, to, to those who are in their cars, heading to or coming home from a game. So, um, tell us about, so I, what I didn't say is that you founded scrumstrong.com. Um, talk us through what happened, what that yeah. is, what you do, how it came about. So essentially, it came out um, out of frustration. So after finishing the Waratahs in 2017, I went and played over in Japan for a season, and it's very it's very different how they how they play rugby and approach rugby over there. It's a it's a religion, <laughs> and some of the some of the practices are probably a little bit outdated as to what most most other teams are doing and was kind of getting home from training like frustrated and just like my wife had, had enough of me like whinging to her about the scrum training and so I, anyway I started venting about it in a in a word document just wrote down a list of all the problems I was having and and how I would probably if I was to teach a scrum if I was a scrum coach what would I do to to teach somebody who'd never scrummed before where, where to start and then 
before I knew it, there was like 120 pages of stuff. And I was like, okay, like I could, should probably turn this into a bit of a book. And then, so then that sort of prompted us to, to get a bit more detailed and, and had the beginnings of our book, Scrum Science. And we needed a, a website and a, and a company to kind of be the, the back end of that. And so Scrum, that's how Scrum Strong was founded essentially out of frustration um, playing overseas and then since returning to Australia look to kind of continue building that in in all the different ways that we can to try to improve the safety and quality of scrums that are that are being packed. I think you've probably just in, in answering that question you've described most referees there in, in kind of being frustrated at those being involved in something that most people don't understand um, well that's kind of most of the people listening yeah. here um, I mean, we often talk at the t- yeah. top level when you hear from the likes of Wayne Barnes, who joined us on a, a previous episode. I know how much time and effort they put those in, the international level put into the scrum. Uh, he uses um, a chap called Phil Keith, yeah. Keith Roach, a very experienced old um, England hooker uh, prop at the time, so he spends a lot of time with that. But back down here at community level, for those of us who are running out in our local societies and federations all over the world, we d- we don't have that. So how do you think we yeah. can best approach the scrum out of fear, or how do we how do we get ahead of the game? No, I don't think. I think I think the the best thing is just to kind of under, and we might get into it in a little bit more detail in, in like a little bit later. But probably look at look at things from a cause and a, and an effect kind of approach. I, I, I find sometimes in my, my experiences anyway is a lot of referees tend to they kind of like like penalize the symptom or penalize penalize the person who's say done something wrong without necessarily seeing the other side of the, of, of the coin or, or appearing to see that. Um, but at, at the end of the day, I'm not, I'm not a referee. I don't have those that, that I don't have to make those split second decisions like that. Um, and was actually doing, doing a podcast earlier today about analyzing the scrums from the, from the world cup final in particular. And it's, like you said, it's very different about the, at that top end of the game, but the pressures on referees making those split decisions is probably just probably telling a bit more of an understanding of the cause and effect as to as to why something's happening. And, and I think, yeah, that's that's probably the biggest thing is and, and understanding as to as to as to why it's happening. Well, just while you've mentioned the the World Cup final, and obviously fresh in lots of people's minds over over this neck of the woods, um, there was a particular scrum that I remember there where. Um, I think there was a big debate about who took it up. There was a, the scrum stood up, um, and from the referee side, or appearing from the referee side of the camera, um, it looked like it had gone one way, and then on the other side of the camera, it looked like it had gone the other way. Yep. Can you kind of just talk us through if people remember that yeah. particular one? We're talking about a specific incident here, which is obviously very tricky. But can you talk us through, I yeah. guess, what you saw and what you thought of that one? Yeah, was it the was it one where Joe Marler was? I think it on, might have been. Yeah, if you can remember. Because I think his first scrum, it was a penalty in South Africa, but I, I thought it should have gone completely the other way. I thought it should have been England's penalty. And the reason, it, it's one of those ones where the ref was on the ref was on the kind of camera side and it, and it collapsed on the far side where Stephen Kitsoff was the loose head. And even from the side on camera angle, you can kind of see that, that the loose head, South African loose head, sort of falls forward like he's, he's lost his feet and kind of like collapsed. And then that was kind of one aspect of it. Another aspect was, I guess, where the, both the tight heads finished up in that in that final picture. Like you had Dan Cole finished forward, like of, of where his starting position was, which 
which generally shows that that if a tight head's going forward, generally generally speaking, it's a, it's the dominant scrum. Whereas the South African tight head was kind of pulled mm. pulled back and around, and I thought that that was that was one that that Garcia's potentially got wrong, but probably rewarding scrum dominance because of the previous kind of six or seven scrums that preceded that. So again, we're already getting into specifics here, which causes a lot of, I guess, issues for this. So let, can we strip it back to basics, I guess? So let, let's let's kind of go through yeah. scrum formation. So we've got um, we've got our scrum setting up. Can we just look at what we're look? What should we be looking at? What are you teaching from your front row? Uh, clients I guess to, to, to set up that, that can either help us when we're looking at things actually to look at yeah the probably the biggest thing is is even from a from a young age getting getting the front rows when they're when the hook is binding up to kind of already be in that half crouch position because a lot of a lot of scrums particularly at the at, at, the, at the community level of the, the, the height is very yeah. is very high compared to that of say an international scrum I think all of that tends to come from hookers just getting to the mark, putting a standing bolt upright, the whole front row is upright, and then they try to crouch even yeah. lower. Whereas if you set in a half crouch position, it's much easier than stay there. It's much easier to then get lower from the setup. And I think I think that's one area that we're trying to change is 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 the process of that. And I guess the other thing is the the taking of the space there of the mark, like you've you've made your mark and the hook has been to the left of that mark or and they set into the left and then just before the kind of like crouch you see them take that tiny little shift shift to the right to try to to try to find their little gaps. Um, that's probably that's probably the biggest thing on, on, on the setup. So, so when we're looking at you often think when you're looking at scrums can I say from a refereeing perspective I guess we're looking for shoulders so when we're looking to make sure that we can see yep. six six shoulders as, as much as you can in any scrum six shoulders on each side so you can clearly see that there's no one tucking because that's obviously an indication of things not going to go well if things are already hidden away yep. um, is, is that becoming more prevalent yeah I think I think the generally generally speaking it's the like the hooker is going to try to hide the loose head shoulder a little bit and the loose head is going to be trying to hiding behind but I think that's starting to change a little bit but particularly over here um loose head is still probably a little bit behind the hooker uh so to speak but they're nowhere near as as tucked as they used to be which kind of causes a lot of issues as you'd know um but I think the the, the shoulder thing keep keeping a shoulder height equal like our big thing is keeping shoulders and hips at the same height that's our that's our biggest thing, and pretty much wherever shoulders, if they go too low, the scrum collapses. If they're too high, then they pop straight and, back and up. So, is, is there a general main, cause to that? So, if you've got a, hips and shoulders that aren't right, what is that that's causing that to happen? So, there's a there's a lot of things that could be happening. It's like could you do with the, the foot positioning? Like, um, if you watch, there's a good YouTube video on the World Cup final, which is just the scrums and there. And it's, which is amazing. It goes for a minute, a minute twenty, and it's got Dan Cole in that very first scrum. You can see him. You can see him completely, kind of like playing in in that position. So he hits. They he hits, and his shoulders and shoulders and yeah. hips are equal. Then he tries to make an adjustment, and he kind of goes too far back, and so all of a sudden his feet are too far behind him, and naturally that lowers the height of his hips. And he, even though his shoulders might be staying at the same height, he's now kind of yeah. up at an angle. And then from there, it he's in a good scrum. It gets a good loose head. His 
He's got no other option except to really either take the scrum down by like by collapsing, like uh, uh, probably un- yeah. unintentionally, but just because that pressure of trying to move his feet. Because if he moves his feet backwards, he's going to yeah. face plant. And but if he moves them forward, then he's at risk of so, getting popped up because now he's too cramped and his shoulders is well above his. So let, let, let's just play that through. So the, the scrum sets and we go in and we we. The picture we end up with is yep. somebody who is flat on the floor, so that loose head's gone face down, yep. um, and then the, the tight head is, yep. is in a what you'd call a perhaps a hinge position. What what yep. if you see that picture, and hopefully that we've, as we've described that, people listening can picture that in their minds. What should are we looking really at the loose head there, who's taking his feet away? Yeah, I, I think so. In 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 my opinion, I think I think loose heads loose heads are almost at a at, a, at an advantage when it comes to kind of keeping their keeping their height up because essentially they're trying to get under the under the tight head. They're trying to drive not not stand up, but they're trying to apply that pressure in a slightly upwards motion. Whereas a tight head's trying to do that slightly down, um, particularly at the at the elite level. But I think with if one prop is completely face down and the other one's in a relatively good shape, but kind of looks like just potentially just like a hinge. It's, it's the guy who's lost his feet probably should have chased his feet a little bit further for, or had his feet a little bit further up. Otherwise, you'd see the, the hinge and the loose head kind of still in that buckled, like both in that buckled position, in which case potentially could be could, could be against either. But I think flat down is generally an indication of that person, particular player, not, not chasing their feet. It's, it's always difficult, isn't it, to come up with definitives here because anything can happen when you've got such forces and, and, and six players yeah. of different experiences and intents any one point but we're just trying to help yeah. referees to figure work out in their own mind what could have happened so they I guess say the right thing because if you're not going to penalise it you've got to yeah. reset it and therefore you need to reset and say something yeah. useful yeah and that's a that's a kind of a, a, a good a good segue into the saying something useful one of the one of the things that you get you, you hear a lot I'm sure you've you, you've said it is you want players to, to like raise their height in terms yep. of like of the scrum and for obvious reasons for safety reasons it's it's important but general from a from a tight heads perspective saying like saying I need you to come up higher to, to meet the height of the loose head yep. it's kind of doing them a disservice because they don't want to come up higher the loose head wants them to come up higher because it's easier for them to kind of get under them but as a as a tight head, hearing hearing that like you need to bring your height up, unless they're kind of like clearly angling down is what I'm trying to get. At. If they're angling down, then, then of course keep them evil, even. But raising the height of the scrum just to avoid a reset, I'm I'm, I'm not too sure about that as a being proactive so, solution to the scrum. So if we've got hips and shoulders are in a strong position, so in that line that you yep. talked about at the start with. But height is still an issue. We should really be getting the loose head side to come down a bit. Is it a kind of? I guess it's a. Okay, what? Which do you pick on? You you kind of bring yeah. the tight head up or the loose head down, or get them both to come a little way either way to get that stability. Yeah, it's 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 a catch twenty two with that, and like bigger bigger players are going to prefer to scrum higher because it's it's easier for them. Whereas someone who's a sort of short and stocky prop like me who relies on on being low and setting low, that's kind of like. That completely kind of puts me out of any any way of putting pressure on the loose head if if I've got if I've been told to raise my height. 
So I guess we can, we can go all over the place here. So let's just come back to our scrum formation because we've talked about the loose head, yeah. and obviously they get a lot more attention. Loose head, they're, they're putting in loose head because the, you're on that put in side on the hole. Yeah. So therefore, you're going to get more yeah. attention. Let's just move across to hookers. So when we're looking yeah. at formation, we, we've got some potentially good, strong shoulders. What what about yeah. the what what about the feet position of the hooker? Most most hookers should be in, in a split stance from the from the start with with either the with the right foot forward, whether it's your ball or the opposition's ball, yeah. having having that right foot forward, I know that at at some of the lower levels, hookers tend to sort of switch it up in there. The defending team will the hooker will switch his feet up and go left foot forward to try to strike the opposition ball. But I think the scrum now is not really a contest for the feed, given that the the halfback has to have the the outside shoulder in line with the midline. It's very rarely you're going to see a hook actually successfully strike the opposition's ball. They're better off trying to drive over the ball and trying to get a dominant scrum that way. So I think from a foot position, having a split stance and then bringing that foot back just just onto on the set call or just before the set call without being um, without actual loading is probably is probably the best way to go. Cool. I mean, we just had a conversation in the in our Facebook group um, over the the weekend so if anyone's listening and you want to join the Facebook group if you go to um, refsquad.com that will bounce you into there um, there was an interesting discussion it was about youth rugby but about the um, hooker's feet being too far forward um, so we don't want to see yeah. that because of course we've got to remember that hookers everybody in the front row has to be in a position to push forward so we don't want to yeah. see two, two hookers' feet in the tunnel, if you're looking at a tunnel, you can see two hookers' feet. There's something not going to go well yeah. there because they clearly yeah, can't be in a position to, to push forward. So mo- moving yeah. on to the, the the next point. Sorry, just to come back, I think um, those listening might have heard um, something like the trigger foot. I think that's what we were just talking about, having that split stance with one foot forward on set. So if, if you're listening, yeah. you've heard that phrase. That's that's where that's starting to come in, particularly with the new um, scrum engagement sequence. And I'm thrilled that you just talked about the put in there we will come back to that um about ricky guys it clearly as a professional professional player listening you already you understand that the the feed doesn't go down the middle anymore have lots of discussions in our world about not straight put-ins and all that kind of stuff but people have forgotten um that they're allowed to be to their side of the the tunnel now which makes it look like it's not going in straight even if it's not going in straight um, so let's just move across to the other side. Yeah. So if you're on the loose head side, if you're on the putting inside of the scrum, um, you're obviously at a disadvantage to see what's going on on the other side. Are we still looking at feet positions, hips, hips, shoulders? What are we looking for? Yeah, and 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 binds in particular. Our um, as a loose head, the biggest thing for, for us is, and I'm sure it's the first thing you look for is if a scrum collapses, you're looking at the, at the loose head's elbow. If the loose head's kind of if that's going down, you're you're assuming the loose head's pulled it down. So, and from a, a scrummaging perspective, you, you can't really transfer weight. So as soon as you pull like that, you hunch and round through your back. So we're teaching kind of like that that pinky to the sky with your with your bind, where they kind of push away and and up up slightly, which is going to help them keep the height of the scrum, which is going to help them keep keep the height of their shoulders up. Cool. I have an advantage here because I'm watching you do it. But for those listening, just in audio, um, oh, yeah. we're talking about yeah. we're talking about elbows not pointing to the ground there. So if you've got elbows pointing to the ground, then something not positive is happening. Whereas we're talking about getting that 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 long bind onto sort of shirt hips type stuff is going to take that elbow and kind of point it to the sideline rather than pointing it to the ground. 
Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Um, is, is there anything we should be watching from a second row perspective? Obviously, we're getting into different territory there, the, the stuff behind you. can they? What, what problems can they cause you in the front row that is then going to transfer to us from a refereeing perspective? So probably the biggest one for locks is is them being too tight to each other. So the locks, the locks being so tight with each other that they kind of compress the hooker and almost form like a bit like a bit of a V and end up kind of splitting their props away from the hooker. So we we, we teach our locks that they need to be they need to stay square in their prop. Like the props, their number one priority. The locks need to be bound together. But they don't have to be kind of like that super tight knit, like like you see a lot of teams do. Because you can you can have your number eight, then bring you guys closer together. Um, that's probably the biggest one. And as well, those guys losing their scrum shape early. So we talk about the front row having their hips and shoulders at an even even height. Like all all eight players need to be have that shoulders at even height. Whereas the locks tend to do more of that that aeroplaning kind of hips above sorry shoulders above the height of their hips which tends to kind of negatively impact on the on the front and, and generally you in the front row you'll tell us if there's a problem with the second rows before we get going right yeah 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 100 percent. They'll, they'll know about it <laughs> just here you have nothing you know you're looking at it you've got some you've got everything you want from a, the front six and suddenly you see a wobble from behind or something starts to move around yeah. you kind of get a feel for where that where that's going to be and it's generally the tight head smacking his second row between the legs yeah, and get, yeah. get out or get in or whatever it might be. Yeah, yeah, 100%. So uh, there's obviously been a law change over the, the summer or the, the winter for you about axial loading. Um, I guess, can we just talk a little bit what that actually means from, from your perspective? Yeah, for, from our perspective now, our understanding, it'll be good to get your clarification on it too, is there was a time where kind of hookers, it was just the hookers would just be leaning onto each other's shoulders where essentially the props didn't have heads on each other's shoulders. It was just the hooker and they were kind of trying to keep the space with all the weight going through their neck, which completely compresses their cervical spine. And then on the set kind of have that, that dip under. Um, and then all front rows kind of started to, to do that as like, as all three are kind of like leaning onto each other. So it wasn't just the, the weight going through just the hookers only. It was kind of dispersed along the front row. Um, but yeah, so for a while we were all taught for the kind of get that like ear to ear kind of thing yep. to try to try to avoid essentially avoiding shoulders on shoulders. Shoulders on shoulders is pre engaged. Hooker's head on hooker's head on um, hooker's shoulder is actually loading. But now we're trying that space a little bit more with the with that ear to ear kind of setup. Is that your understanding? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, that, as well. it's removing that initial pressure that's causing onto onto hookers before the put-in. Um, I was just wondering, I, said, I don't think we've seen it come to fruition, but one of the things I was concerned about over the summer was, um, on our pre-season, was it, was it going to cause the bind become an issue because we're having to move players a little bit further away, which might yeah. then cause some instability as they go for the bind. I don't think we've seen it yet. I don't yeah. know if you've probably wrong time in your season, but have you seen that? No, we we saw it massively. It came in kind of mid the middle of our of our club season, and as a tight head, I found it very very difficult to to get my bind because it was kind of I'm a like I said before I'm a bit of a shorter shorter tight head and got stumpy limbs and whatnot, and getting that being ear to ear kind of allowed me to get get a decent a decent bind um, between say the 
the shoulder blade and the arm of, of the opposing hooker. Does that make sense? Of where their hooker was binding. Whereas as soon as we had to have that more space, I found that I couldn't, my perfect spot was right on the, hook, the opposite hooker's arm, which I couldn't get a bind on. And so naturally, I'd go that little bit shorter, which tended to be kind of like the back of the shoulder, borderline kind of arm arm bind. And I just like didn't, didn't really feel safe doing that because if I went too far and went beyond the hooker's arm, I'd be pre-engaged, but I couldn't, uh, yeah, it was, it was a struggle to find that, that middle ground. And I think it caused a bit of disruption, but to, to be honest, I think referees here looked at it for that first week that it was introduced and then kind of put it in a too hard basket or they, they weren't, they weren't, I guess, trained, trained up enough to be able to police that properly. And I, I, I guess we're only talking a matter of centimetres here. We're, yeah. But that I've clearly the centimetre that we've, we've, we've added now in there is causing you guys on the on the prop side quite a problem. Yeah, yeah, massively. Like it, I think some of the teams have, I think some of the tight heads have started to bind a little bit more on the side now um, mm. as opposed to trying to bind a little bit more on, on top of the jersey. You sit, I saw in the back end of the World Cup there a lot of, a lot of that side kind of jersey um, binds, particularly from the tight heads. Yes, it's one of those things. It's been done for the right reasons, and then how it's how yeah, it's materialising in front of us. So I guess from from those people listening, we're talking about an awareness issue here. Is that um, if if you've got the good gap to stop the actual loading that head on head or head on shoulder issue, that could then cause a knock on effect of. Um, that binding issue, so perhaps a bit of leeway, if that's the right phrase, just to be aware of yeah. cause and cause and effect of, of focusing on one thing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Great stuff. So, I guess just can we just talk about a little bit about problem solving? Um, so yep. we've gone through our engagement sequence, which is now quite s- steady, I guess. Um, sometimes, do, do we as referees sometimes cause problems by varying that three-stage sequence? Or does it not matter? The yeah, so sometimes sometimes there's a little bit with with the calling sequence in particular. Sometimes just like the the split second, all the as a tight head trying to lead in that scrum, all you're listening for is that first kind of like s part of like the set to then yeah. to then kind of go, and you kind of get that when you when the referees give like the the tempo in a pre match talk of what it's going to be like, and they stick to it, it works perfectly, but. For whatever, I know, I know you guys. You're not gonna, you're not gonna call set if you see any instability or if you yeah. call anything like. You're looking at it from a, you're ticking the boxes as you guys are making a call. Am I seeing X, Y, and Z? No, okay, I'm gonna wait till I do that. And I think sometimes the front row is we just a lot of players don't understand that you're not just gonna call crouch blind set the same every single scrum. And I think, I think having that a bit more better known. Um, by, but by players that it's not going to be the exact same call each scrum because you're waiting, you're waiting to see the kind of action take place after your, after your call. Um, but pro- problem solving, I think it's one of the, we had an, I'll give you, give you a bit of an example. We had a, we had a game earlier this year where we had a dominant, a dominant scrum for probably 50 minutes. Um, including like a pushover try, and then we we made a couple of substitutions, and the very first scrum, our tight head got penalised against against their reserve loose head. From the very first scrum, it just collapsed, and then 
the referee just um, straight up penalised a tight head, losing feet. Second scrum, they then took, took another scrum. Exact same thing. So three penalties in a row, all pinpointed straight away for the against against our reserve tight head. Mm-hmm. And all the referee was saying was, was like losing your feet, losing your feet, losing your feet. But then watching it back on the camera, they were they were a little bit a little bit sneaky in their kind of like methods the other team. They were kind of like not not taking the hit. They were kind of like absorbing a hit a little bit and not and not meeting it. So we were kind of being trying to go forward and at the same time instead of meeting halfway, they kind of pulled back a little bit on the hit and so naturally our tight head kind of like lost a little bit of momentum and instead of trying to understand the why that happened it was just it was kind of like like we spoke about at the start like hitting the hitting the symptoms straight away without actually trying to understand or watching and i know you guys must hear a lot of a lot of chat from players or all game about watch this watch that but yeah i think at scrum time like that's one that's one in particular where it's like it, it kind of those inconsistencies where some referees will listen and then potentially even reverse the next scrum, but others will kind of let it play on a little bit. So you've just talked about one thing that I really struggle with and always have from a refereeing perspective. And given that I, yeah. I, I mean, I played schoolboy rugby in the front row, but that doesn't count. So <laughs> let's yeah. just say I'm not okay. a front row player. Um, how, how do we identify if a side has not taken the hit or they've taken a soft hit to cause that? Because it's one of those things, everyone says it, um, you guaranteed yeah. that at some point in a game this weekend or your game last weekend for those listening, um, somebody will have said they've got to take the hit, ref. Yeah. What are we looking... So we've, got, we've gone for our process. We've got six good front rows. We've got good pillars. We've got good engagement. The, the, the cadence sequence, the, the crouch bind set sequence happens what's the thing that we can use what we're going to see when a side doesn't take the hit i think you're going to see you, you see one side go forward like significantly more than than the previous scrums so that they'll they'll take more space i think if you it like not that you'd ever take this approach watching a scrum but try to like say watch the midline of the scrum only excuse me see who kind of like gets over there. like is it are they meeting halfway or is one team going further and generally speaking like teams with a weaker front row will will try to sort of milk milk that particularly if if they've been under the pump like was the case in in that example I used but then at the same time watching the Wales in the World Cup two games very smartly done and didn't really do anything illegal but milked quite a few short arms at the back end of games to wind to wind it down because you guys are looking at, at safety first and foremost as the as as the um, at scrum time, and if, if a player says, "Oh no, like they're standing up just before," or they hit and deliberately kind of like take a step back, it's almost it almost looks exagger- exaggerated. Is probably the easiest way to look at it. Like it looks that's like great, one team. That's a great way of putting it. On too good a hit to be true. That that does, does that make sense? Like yeah, I, I was just pitching because as you were speaking, I'm going. What you've just described is also a side chasing the chasing the sequence, so an early yeah. push. Um, yeah. But again, it's it's that you you put it really clearly for me there. In, in terms of, does it look too good? If something looks yeah. too good, and it hasn't up to that point, then that's the trigger for us to think. Well, we perhaps need to focus on why it looked too good. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's, it's a it's a good 
picture, I guess, for, for those of us um, listening and trying to work through this. So that's really helpful. Thank you. I guess one of the one of the, the reasons that I found you um, was from an article that you wrote. Um, I think we can we can all say that we either do understand the front row or we don't understand the front row, and we've, it's great to hear from you to to get some experience across to us. So thank you. Um, what do you think is a, is it might be a good solution to this whole problem? So and again, it's just a suggestion. Not saying it's the answer um, at all, but was kind of thinking like a lot of a lot of sports, particularly rugby league, uh, um, they've got the two referees on the field at the same time, one one watching the attack, one watching defence. You've got the NFL with their multiple referees throwing flags in and things like that. And I thought, like, why not have a scrum referee? Like, why not like or a scrum player, as I kind of coined it in the in the article, was somebody comes on. Uh, yeah. Mind you, I haven't thought of any of the logistics behind this, it was just purely just an idea, um, was to, to get somebody who's potentially an ex-professional player who's who's gotten into the refereeing um, and have them come on, just essentially sub in and off. The referee's still in the field, but having having the scrum player on there, just watching the scrums, adjudicating that, and then making a decision and then and then getting out of the way. Um <laughs> So they can go, go back and have their pies and... and it's and a great idea. We'll absolutely put line. the link to the, um, the, the show notes. It's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's an idea that's kind of been touched on before. Um, I think we're often going to go into the debate from from our side is that how on earth do we get consistency even on, on there? And I, I actually come back to the, the World Cup final. I saw a, um, an article, I think it was in the Telegraph in the, in the London version. Yeah. Um, where Ben Kay's former England second row had been through all the scrums um, and had looked at them all again in hindsight and, and I think he he ended up agreeing with five of the six penalties and, and the other one could understand why it wasn't. Um, so if we've got, and that's because he was on from the, yeah. the that scrum from two different yeah. views, if you've got a, a scrum pyre comes on and they're on one side and you as the the regular ref are on the other side, you may both see things Um yeah, completely differently and with different outcomes, and so I think it's a great, it's a great different. idea. I just don't quite know how on, on yeah. earth could ever work. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't know how it could work, and then it obviously would potentially take away the the confidence in referees that why do we need somebody else to come in to to do this when that's all that that's their job. Um, yeah, so it was just a bit of just, just just a little bit of fun, and was just thinking thinking out loud with with, with that one, but. Didn't think it was too far, too far fetched. Any, any, anyway, um. I, 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 it, it does bring an interesting conversation. I, I spoke to um, some of the guys when I was out in Japan myself for some of the referees. There, there are, there is definitely a draw. Those who are becoming referees yeah. at the top level now are definitely coming from the halfback scrum half ca- campaign. If you look at those who are coming through, how do we get more former front rows? into refereeing because the only I was trying to think the last front row player I can ever think mm-hmm. that ended up refereeing at a reasonable level was a chap called Johnny Bakagalupo who I think was a uh, played yeah. for Scotland and then went through the refereeing I don't know if you ever played for Scotland but certainly ended up refereeing um, at yeah. a reasonably top level in Scotland but I can't think of any other front row forward who's, who's taken up the whistle how do we so how do we square that circle I think yeah, <laughs> I, I, I don't have well, Maybe your solution one. is the way we square that circle. Yeah, like I think, generally speaking, most front rowers tend to, like they're big units and they tend to get bigger in retirement. Um, and so I don't think, I don't think they would, 
they would be be interested in 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 sort of running around for for eighty minutes with a whistle. And they're the ones who are who are cheering when they when there's ten minutes of scrums getting reset, whereas the ninety percent of the other population are wanting someone to be sent off in a game to kind of to to play on. So I don't I don't know how you could convince them um, unless they they had like an interval kind of role to play where they pop on and off and. In some games, they might only get on there three or four times. Wow, it's, a, it's an interesting idea. Like, some fan, fantastic advice um, in there. Is there any kind of, I guess, final tips you'd offer to you'd kind of offer to us referees as we're as we're looking at things? Um, no, I think I think I think we've covered covered most things. It was more. I think the biggest thing was just the the cause and effect. Like, why? Like, who do you penalise? One of one, it was. I'm not sure if you guys did a repost on this, but we did a we did an, uh, a, a video a couple of months ago about a really good video. I can send you the link on Instagram where it's a loose head versus a tight head, and I think the tight head, I think the loose head is the one who ends up getting penalised. But it's just at an amateur level, mm. and all the it was kind of like the jury was still out fifty fifty on on who was rightly penalised the tight the tight head or the loose head and. I think the decision was was that the loose head was was driving up and he was standing up and hence why he got he got penalised. Where I think look to play the devil's advocate, looking at the other side, what like do you penalise the loose head for for being dominant or do you penalise the tight head for putting themselves in an unsafe position? Mm-hmm. So the position I'm talking about is a tight head getting popped up where they're kind of like they're feeded probably up off the yeah. ground and their neck still down and they're hunched over, is it is is it then that should be penalised for because for, essentially they've they've gotten themselves into that position. The loose head if they if they start off square and have a slight drive up is what I'm talking about, not a yeah. not a standing up versus the tight head for getting in a dangerous position by, by having their shoulders above their their hips. That's a I think those they're probably the two biggest the two biggest ones we've covered today is like say a loose a loose head of people collapsing and then getting and getting popped up. You, what what side is what side should be penalised essentially? Cool. Uh, and I guess there isn't a rugby club in the world who wouldn't welcome a referee to come down and, and do some scrum sessions and training nights. To yeah, kind of sp- yeah, hundred percent. Spend, spend we, some time. Utilise that all the time. I, I've I've done that all throughout my refereeing, and I just found it. It's never a. a a failure to, to to go and do that. You always get something out of it, even if it's um, the old, the wily old dog who will give away a little bit too much about what he's doing, um, and which he yeah. he's been getting away with for years, um, or offering some really good advice. And you can kind of work on some of the pictures that we've just talked about um, through the last yeah. session has been really useful. So please, if you're out there refereeing, um, doing fitness work, that's all very well and do, but get down to your local club, wherever that might be, um, and watch and get involved and and kind of referee them and talk to these guys. Yeah, yeah, I think that's I think that's really good for for referees to to essentially understand what what's going on in a prop's mind or front rower's mind. Like, what are what are they trying to do to the to their opposite and what their opposite's trying to do to them? Brilliant. Well, Sam, thank you very much. And um, where can people hum, hunt you out to to watch more? Uh, on on Instagrams, where probably got our biggest presence, and it's at scrum dot dot strong. Um, on Facebook is scrum strong as well. Um, 
they're the two main channels we use to, to get things out there. Oh, and scrumstrong.com is our website. Great. We'll put that there. We'll put a link to the article that we've talked, the Scrum Pies article that we talked about in the show notes. Um, I Absolutely, I've been having a flick through the the, um, the, the posts on, on Instagram. There's some cracking videos in there just and, and showing some of the pictures that we've just been talking about. So do have a um, a rummage around there. For those of you who like scrum porn, um, I think I may have just upset the algorithm slightly. There's there's some good <laughs> stuff in there as well for those of you who like that kind of thing. But, yeah, well worth yeah. it. Sam, thanks very much for joining us. Really appreciate yeah, thanks it. Thanks very much for your time, Keith. Thanks for listening to the Advantage Over podcast from RugbyReferee.net. We hope you've enjoyed the content that we brought to you this week. What we'd really appreciate is your likes, rates and reviews, wherever it is you found it, whether that's iTunes or Stitcher Radio or TuneIn. Please head over there and leave us a review. We really do appreciate those. Um, we'd also um, ask you to tell your referee colleagues, friends, community um, that about this podcast this is the only rugby referee podcast out there, um, so we hope to get to more earbuds um, over time. We'd also love your feedback um, and your suggestions and your comments, so please let us have them. Um, you can either email us at ref at advantageoverpodcast.com um, or you can find us through the rugbyreferee.net website um, or through Twitter at rugbyrefereenet, which is the same handle you'll find on Instagram as well. We're in all those places, so please do let us know what you think, let us know what you want, um, and how we can help you become better referees in the future. So for now, that is Advantage Over.